associate with your glass there? I know. Your choice Check of me your out. choice of Coke or is it red wine? <laughs> it is a Coke, I have to say. Well, it I, looks like a red wine in a in a in a, does it? a, oh, that's, a fancy that's, beer glass. <laughs> that's for the second half of the podcast. <laughs> a very large a very large red very wine. Large red wine. No, no, honestly, it's a Coke. We'll see if you're uh, slurring at the end. Well, it's a Coke because I an ice cold Coke is nothing better. And mm-hmm. as it seems to be the way, whenever we schedule this podcast record, it's just sweltering hot. If you hear my neighbour mowing the lawn, I apologise <laughs> because I'm not closing that window because I don't have uh, a, I don't have yeah. I have closed the window <laughs> in case my kids, when they're outside, will uh, everybody can hear them. Oh, but it won't be the same without an interruption from your kids. It's just obligatory. When they shout abuse at each other, yeah. <laughs> right, anyway, so... Connections. So we had a one degree of separation for Zombieland and Crash. So we have one person that submitted and suggested that, yes, it was Woody Harrelson and Tandy Newton that were in a film together called Solo. That was a great shout. I think I even said, didn't I, that I went, I am DBing on that one didn't spot it mm. so yeah no great show. there must be some others surely I, I think there was another one where they were cameo roles sandra bullock and woody harrelson as themselves yeah, i think it was called hollywood boulevard or something like that oh, right called. well yeah. i mean this week's films which cassie and the sun got dance kid and the greatest showman i couldn't get one not in one yeah. anyway not in one so let's open it up a bit more to yeah. a couple of degrees of separation let's just say see what responses we get as well yeah. so this week we had the greatest uh, showman and butch cassidy and the sundance kid which one are we going to do first butch let's do butch so okay. this was off my list i saw this once Quite a while ago, maybe like 10 years ago, it stuck in my head. I liked it. I couldn't really remember that much about it. So this was released in 1969, directed by George Roy Hill, written by William Goldman. And it's based loosely on fact, telling the story of the Wild West outlaws, Robert Leroy Parker, who's known as Butch Cassidy, played by Paul Newman, and his partner, Harry Longabow, the Sundance Kid, who's played by Robert Redford. It's set about the turn of the century. There are references in the film to the Spanish-American War, which places it, I suppose, 1898, they reckon. You have Butch, who's the brains of, of the operation, the affable one, and then you have Sundance as the kind of gunslinger, uh, and he's more more the brawn, if you like. And although they're outlaws, and this is a theme really of the entire film, they, they don't really come across as particularly menacing characters. They're more kind of just buddies, um, it would seem, who rob banks, have a gang, but you never really feel like it's serious violence. At least that's the kind of general tone of the film. It's actually quite light-hearted. So they've compiled this gang called the Holt in the Wall Gang, named after the hideout um, in the Wyoming mountains. And its de facto leader, Butch Cassidy, is threatened by another member in the group. And this group seems like it's at that verge of disbanding after being together and committing various bank robberies. So this is really where the story starts. And they all do this 
job which is holding up a train which backfires in so much as at the point in which they rob the train not only do they blow up the safe and money flies uh, notes fly all over the place which is really quite amusing uh, another train arrives and at this train come this posse who run straight towards them all with the hole in the wall gang getting the horses right off pretty much i think all of them are killed apart from butch casting the sundance kid and this really starts this hunt that is the basis of the entire film this posse and all we know about this posse is that they are hired by the guy in the train who's responsible for guarding all of the money because they'd robbed off this guy before they're on the run always trying to keep ahead of this posse we never really see the see this group who are chasing them so there's a bit of mystery around who they are but they're clearly very good because wherever Butch and Sundance go, however far they ride, they always seem to be on their trail. So assisted by their friend, school teacher Etta Place, played by Catherine Ross, who is Sundance's girlfriend, although she's a friend of both of them, they end up fleeing to Bolivia. They see this as the only way to escape this relentless posse is to basically leave the country, head for a new life in South America, and hopefully no one catches up with them. So when they arrive there, now with Etta with them, so the three of them start up the whole bank robbing again. And before we know it, they see signs that they this posse might have tracked them down. And so they're in this situation where they're forced um, to go straight, stop robbing banks in order to try and uh, avoid capture. So that's pretty much it. So the 1970 Oscars, this won four Academy Awards, Best Writing Story and Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Music, Original Song for Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which people probably will be familiar with, and Best Music, Original Score for Motion Picture by Burt Bacharach, a name that people probably will be familiar with. And it was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Sound. It lost out on Best Picture to Midnight Cowboy. But interestingly, for the BAFTAs, it holds a record with nine wins. So it won in every single category it was nominated in. So basically it won every award it could. And its 10th nomination was a dual nomination for Best Actor anyway. So Robert Redford got Mm. Best Actor, which I thought that was quite interesting. The reason I really liked the film is because I didn't think it was a typical Western For me, actually, as I mentioned before, it felt more like a buddy movie with these two iconic actors, really sharp dialogue, a real dry, witty kind of humour playing through it. It just was really good fun. And as I say, a real dose of comedy in there. The scenery wasn't your typical desolate vistas that you might see in other Western films. I just thought it was really nice. And the soundtrack was good. It just had a very light, almost playful soundtrack. And so, yeah, that, that's the main reasons mm. I liked it. I know Westerns isn't <laughs> always your favourite genre, so I can't wait to hear what you thought about it, Sarah. Yeah, so on the Oscar front, Best Film and Director did go to Midnight Cowboy, but Best Actor went to John Wayne for True Grit as well. So quite a few Western feel. I know Midnight Cowboy is a drama, but a fair amount of Westerns really that were coming out. So quite interesting about that. For a Western, I quite liked it. And it's biographical too. I love the way it said, mostly what follows is true. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was very loosely biographical, it sounds like, at the same time. But I did learn that Butch Cassidy's sister in real life did actually join the cast and crew regularly and brief them on what his journey was and his character was, etc. So it did have that biographical feel. But I love that the subtitle that came up at the start. I did get a little concerned at the start when it was in black and white and then they migrated into colour. That feature that start in the end, but it was a tinted black and white. What do you call the tinted black and white that they have? It wasn't a true black and white you would get in the older movies. No, it was a kind of sepia. It was that sepia yeah, colour. Yeah, yeah. So it, looked, it had it that, great. Had, it kind of just said golden era cinema, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I actually was watching it thinking, huh, is it like this all the way through? And then, yes, like you say, exactly when the, what when, I was thinking. And then when the colour came in, it was weird. It was almost like, Ah, oh, good. Yeah. I was in a white. Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. But it was quite good to see some of the the film reel they had of the hole in the wall gang in action on the cinematic screen that they showed right at the start as well, just to give you a feel of what kind of characters and gang this was. That I mean, I thought the hole in the wall was actually because they're blowing holes in the wall of trains and and banks, etc. But I didn't realise what you said was the hole in the wall. What was the hole in the wall gang? Named hole, after again? The hole in the wall was a place where they hung out in Wyoming. I don't know if it was actual specific the name of a, a building or a town. But interestingly, sorry, I'm going getting straight in here with some tri- trivia, so forgive me. But hole in the wall was not the actual name of the gang. The name of the gang in real life was the Wild Bunch. But because the Wild Bunch, obviously a very famous Western film, was being released just before this film was to be released, they decided they couldn't call the gang the Wild Bunch because it would just be too confusing with the other film coming out. So they had to make up that name. So they just decided to use it based on a particular location. Brilliant, yeah. And I quite like the name, actually. And then Paul Newman actually named one of the children's charity who supported the Hole in the Wall gang, which I, th- I think is great. Um, I, lo- I love the relationship between Butch Cassidy, so Paul Newman and Sundance Kid, which is Robert Redford. They reminded me a little bit of current day George Clooney and Brad Pitt. Uh, Butch Cassidy being the, the slightly wired, charming lady killer and the kid being a bit more sensible, the gunslinger, and also the one-girl man as well. However, they both loved Sundance's partner, Etta Place, played by Catherine Ross, as you mentioned before. And she even said to Butch at one point, if we had met before, would they have been a couple right now? Which was kind of a bit sad. I felt sad and sorry for, for the Sundance kid. Like, who does she want to be with, really? But she kind of followed the three of them to Bolivia and was part of the gang, really, at the end of the day. She was she was equally as much as a criminal as, as the rest of them. And I wonder, I haven't looked it up, but I wonder whether she got caught after the ending of uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. I wonder if she uh, went into hiding or whether she she actually got done for some of these crimes. Well, I guess we'll never know. The only part I found out of Kilter, but also very sweet, is the scene where Cassidy wakes Etta up early in the morning and the Sundance kid was sleeping. Etta jumps in front of this new flanged contraption called a bicycle at the time, which uh, Cassidy steers. And the reason I think it was out of kilter because then the 60s music kicked in with raindrops keep falling on my head. And I've thought, 60s music, that song... 
did it really fit in with the Western style film? So I was a little bit confused at that point. I was thinking, that's, that's a bit odd. But it was a very sweet moment, a very sweet scene, because we had Butch Cassidy. We got to see his character a little bit more. Uh, it was quite tender and, and, and caring and, and funny when he did his stunts on the bike. But the music, going back to this music piece, Bert Batarak played the music all the way through the film, majority of the film. But I felt it was very modern day. It was almost like a Tarantino-esque style that you get today, I feel. Um, so that's why it's probably as a Western, it was very different and quite modern age and different always does well at the Oscars and BAFTAs, etc. as well. I like to think that Newman and, and Redford were pals off screen. I read that they, uh, they drank a lot of beer in Mexico, which was when they were filming the Bolivia scenes. Uh, Redford also did his own stunts, majority of his own stunts. Um, which concerned Newman. So didn't want him to get hurt or anything like that. However, there were stuntmen for the cliff jump into the rapids for that scene. And that was a great scene, amazing cinematography. And the first time they, they seemed genuinely worried that this, the man with the white hat and his men were after them. It was kind of comical the way that the whole film sort of panned out, really, but there were scenes where they looked generally worried. I know Catherine Ross and George Roy Hill, director, were, were not getting along during this film. Her favourite scene was apparently the bicycle ride with Paul Newman, where another team really directed that piece. So any opportunity that she was away from the director, she, she really enjoyed. She was banned from the set, apparently, by the director after operating a camera during the first train robbery scene, which the cinematographer actually was showing her how to use it and she wasn't doing that bad a job and Paul Newman also fell out on occasions with the director as well he apparently sawed the director's desk in half very bizarre after the director didn't pay for alcohol which he took from Newman's office oh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? I know, that? I saw It's a bit that. drastic, isn't it? I know, I, it's, yeah. You do get some incredible stories, don't you, in uh, yeah. some of these films. I read that Ross, Redford and Newman refused to drink the local water in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And everyone else did, and you know, a lot of them got severe illness out of it. So all they drank was soda water and alcohol for, for the period of the shoot. <laughs> So I suppose yeah. they probably would have gone quite well. Yeah, they're merry most of the time. C casting, apparently Dustin Hoffman was offered the Butch Cassidy role, but I believe he was in Midnight Cowboy instead. And Steve McQueen was offered the Sundance Kid. And originally the film was going to be called Sundance Kid and Butch Cassidy because Steve McQueen was the more famous out of the two at the time. But Steve McQueen did, went on to do something else. And because Paul Newman must have been um, more famous. It turned out to be Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. He was more famous than Robert Redford at the time. So that was kind of interesting that you, you don't really get the film title changed around just because of the pecking order of, of actors normally. Uh, what I do like is that Sam Elliott, who was in the film, it was his debut, and he actually married Catherine Ross after this film. So another factoid there. But it feels quite modern, and I like the fact also that the Sundance Film Festival, which was first set up in 1991, was also named after the Sundance Kid. So it is truly did so well with the critics. And I love the fact that it swept the board with the BAFTAs and did pretty well at the Oscars as well. One thing that I thought was really interesting about it was, as you've already mentioned, it felt a bit ahead of its time in so much as this yeah. very modern take on a Western. At reading into it, it was interesting that some critics really 
didn't take to it. I imagine these are probably the stuffy traditional critics who would be expecting a more standard format Mm. because apparently some critics took William Goldman to task saying it was contemporary and overly cool and overly clever with the dialogue. It's almost as if they were mocking it. In actual fact, that's exactly why it works. And I know what you mean about the, the famous raindrops are dropping on your head. And apparently, I think it was Redford, when he first heard that song was going to go in, he was very much against it. As I suppose, it's, it's not really that surprising, because like you say, it feels out of place, but it fits the sentiments of the relationship of those characters. You could kind of say, well, it does its job because it stays with you. You know, you remember those things. And I don't mm. think it's to the detriment of the film. I also found that... It's Can I just on... Yeah, Sorry, go just for it. on that, I felt that it wasn't just the song, it was also the cinematography of it as well, because she was wearing a long white dress, very 60s looking, I felt, um, obviously with their slightly 60s hair, hairdos as well, <laughs> but obviously trying to be in line with the Western feel. And it was very, the, there was a blurred effect on it as well, around the edges. It's, it was almost like something you would see in a 60s, karaoke song movie it was very odd for me but at the same time it did do its job and I found it quite sweet as well there are also big chunks of the film when they're riding as it were they're in clothes that you would say are more typical of the western era but seeing them especially when they were loading up to go to Bolivia they were in suits you know almost almost like Sunday best yeah and it did almost feel like you know maybe the film was was making that point it was a transitional period for that particular Mm -hmm. genre or or at least that's that was the idea behind it. Yeah. I also I also like the fact that normally in a Western, when you're covering the, the typical protagonists, gunslingers, as quite menacing figures I've mentioned before, they're not that. But also, they tend to always win. You know, you think of Clint Eastwood, for example, or John Wayne, or, I mean, John Wayne's more heroic, but typically the heroes of the piece would normally win. Whereas right from the start of this, there's only really one way this is kind of going. And yeah. I thought that was quite nice. It's a bit like that. In some ways, you know that moment in completely different film, Thelma and Louise, where, yeah. again, it's a buddy movie with the two girls. They get to that point. They know their fate. They make that decision and they just go for it. And mm-hmm. the end sequence of that in a, in a funny... In fact, I wonder whether that... Yeah, it might that, have influenced them. It might have influenced yeah. uh, the way you know, from this film. I also found, as well as the cinematography... I really was intrigued by the sequence where they showed their journeying to Bolivia because they have to travel all the way to New York and then from New York they get on the ferry and, and then eventually you see them settle in Bolivia. But there's a whole sequence there which is like a montage of photographs and this is where they I think this is where they kind of move back into that sepia black and white and interestingly I when I watched that I thought I wonder why they chose to do that you know so we because it wasn't film it's just a series of Mm. a nice music track and series of stills and it was because the soundstage on which they were planning to do the New York shots, they had hoped to get access to it because it was being shared for Hello Dolly. And they thought they were going to get access to, I think, you know, stage two next door. But in the end, they weren't allowed to because that was the big production at the time. 
So they ended up saying, okay, we, we won't film in there, but we will take stills. So they still used the studio, mm. but they just used it purely to take Polaroids. That's why that montage sequence came about. But again, you remember it, but I don't think it was to the detriment of the film. It did seem to kind of fit for me. I quite like that scene, but what I thought was slightly unusual, again, if you're on the run, why would you have your photograph taken by a professional photographer? Because it could be shared elsewhere if people are looking for certain people. Plus, I think the the way they were dressed up is so they could fit in with everybody that were in, in the city. Maybe that was a compromise of of mm. of something that the director didn't want to do. It was out of his hands. It was almost like, well, what the hell do we do here? Okay, well, let's let's the best we can do mm. is take a bunch of pictures and stitch it together that way. And so films yeah. become photographs. And then, like you say, as soon as they become photographs, yeah, quite rightly, you can find those criticisms with it. But again, you know, it's these stories that are fascinating, isn't it? You know, you watch a film and often you won't realise until you read about them that you know, yeah. some stuff is not easy. It's you have they work around limitations or or restrictions that are often placed on them that that are completely unexpected. Yeah, yeah, and go back to the music as well. I'm wondering, did Tarantino get any flack from the critics when he launched his films because they were very sort of. 70 star but with very modern music i i do know it's a criticism that's that's placed on him in the latter part of his career i think at the beginning of his career it was really impactful i I think it's Mm. only in the latter part of his career it's become an easy thing to pick holes in tarantino films and i wonder how many films and how many directors this film influenced because i mean i've read a few directors were heavily influenced by this And it's funny, you just start talking about it. You know, I mentioned Thelma and Louise. And yeah, maybe they're... I mean, it's been parodied, obviously, many times, the kind of scenes of them jumping off the cliff into the river and also the famous sequence at the end when they run out. They're surrounded by the Bolivian army and they run out and accept their fate, as it were. And that's obviously a very, very classic scene as Mm -hmm. well. This film was made... I think for six million and it made over a hundred million. So I think, you know, adjusted for inflation, it ranks as the 34th top grossing film of all time. But when it was initially released, it got quite a lukewarm opening, but it got very, very good word of mouth. Mm. There has been this thought that this film almost represented the period at the time, the 60s, 70s in the States, where there was a lot of activism and this whole theme in the film of this mysterious posse who you never really see relentlessly tracking down these two guys who you kind of root for. They're not evil. They, they're just trying to find their place in the world. Yes, obviously they're committing crimes. There's a thought that that was almost reflective of society and and that's why the young people really took to this film. And so it got this word of mouth with that particular audience, which I thought was really interesting. And in actual fact, I think that's probably, you know, the the film we're going to go on to talk about next didn't open to a massive opening. But again, it grew and grew and grew. Uh, So there's a bit of symmetry there, even though it's a Mm. completely different type of film. But, you know, just for me, it was just very watchable, wasn't it? You didn't have to really concentrate too much. Yeah, I I just, it's just very, very, very Mm. enjoyable. I can't wait to see a a Western with a bit of rap and grime and something completely different in current day. But no, I, I, for a Western, 
I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really good. And actually, I really want to watch it again just to see what I missed. And, and it was very easy to watch. And I love the collaboration and the, the relationship between all three of them, really, the, the main stars. So for me, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm going to give it a whopping nine and a half out of ten for a Western. Oh, my. Wow. OK. Yeah, I, did, I did give the Reverend a nine, I think I did. But this was really, really good. Very different. And I liked it. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I was listening to you there thinking, what am I going to give it? Um, (laughs) And I think I'm going to give it nine. um, Because it's one of those films, if you've heard of it, as you will have done, but haven't seen it, it's one of those ones where you watch it almost with a bit of expectation. But it just delivers, doesn't it? It just delivers. More than delivers. And those films where you get those stars with that, that incredible presence, it's just perfect. And I loved, it's almost like a little family, those three. And it's just totally charming. It's probably worth noting that George Roy Hill, who directed this mm-hmm. film, also directed Redford and Newman together again. I think it was two or three years later in The Sting, which is another kind of classic film. Anywho, anywho. Just one other thing oh. is Sam Elliott. Obviously, we've seen him more recently in A Star Is Born as the brother of the of the main Bradley Walsh. Um, not Bradley Walsh. He's a he's a comedian. <laughs> Bradley Cooper's character. <laughs> And and we've got the fact that he married Catherine Ross as well. But I know that Sam Elliott has also been in, in a few films with Redford and Catherine Ross since then as well. So there was obviously a connection with not just those three, but more outside of that group as well. So a great cracking film. Good one. Good selection. Good stuff. So on we go to Greatest Showman. Oh, boom, 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 boom. That's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> And probably out of tune as well. Sorry, we everyone. We want more. We want more. Uh, this is the greatest show. Um, you know right. you want to. They're all they're all bursting. <laughs> they're all desperate to come out. All the all the hits. Well, I have to be honest. I don't think I know any of the film other than Greece, where I know all the songs. <laughs> to be honest, so I, I could probably recite most of them. So this film has a really strong score. This is me. Was nominated for the best original song at the Oscars in 2018 but lost out to Remember Me by Coco actually which we reviewed a few weeks back and I, I like it because it this film puts you in a jolly mood it's great for the family and you know as I've just burst into song you'll have a great sing song afterwards as well so this film was released in 2017 it follows Phineas Taylor Barnum from childhood where he met his future wife Charity and he was told that he was no good for Charity by her father from a very upper class background and he then became a great hungry businessman and visionary which led to the creation of P.T. Barnum Circuses. So this film is about family, strive for success, courage plus encouraging the acceptance of diversity as well. The actors in this film include Hugh, I'm going to say... (laughs) I said it wrong last week. Hugh Jackman. No, no, it's not Hugh. It's Hugh Jackman. You get it all wrong. (laughs) It's Hugh. Hugh Jackman, P.T. Barnum, uh, Michelle Williams as Charity Barnum. Business partner was Philip Carlyle, played by Zac Efron. Uh, His love interest was played by Zandea and Rebecca Ferguson played Jenny Lind, the operatic star and Keila Settle played Letty Lutz, the bearded lady who I think has an amazing voice and pretty much stole the show as well. I watched this with my family last night. My boys 
although they'd seen it before, they were smiling, gawping at scenes, and we all had a good sing-along as well at the same time. Even my husband did as well. I will let you into that secret. Um, in uh, one of the songs, there is a line where you, it describes the circus performance, taking your breath away and stilling your mind, which I think this definitely does as a film. I'd love to get your thoughts, Rob. You will get my thoughts. Did we give your husband, Chris, a name check for actually making the connection between Crash... No, he didn't. You can do it now. I, I wasn't going to mention it, but you, no, you can just, do I it. I just suddenly realised. I know he pops up occasionally in this podcast, but yes, well done, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, Chris, you've now got to find the connection between Rich Cassidy and The Greatest Showman, which is uh, slightly harder, I think, but maybe you are up to the task. Um, yeah, Greatest Showman... I some of the critics were really sniffy about this film. Mm, mm, mm. And I just don't really understand why. Because it's made as a family film, end of. And this was a passion project for uh, Huge Jackman. He will just be Huge Jackman. <laughs> and it took about seven years for him to get this off the ground. And obviously mm. he came from, you know, he's, he's from a musical background. He'd, he burst onto the scene with Oklahoma, then Les Miserables, and then this. And he's hosted the Tony Awards three times. So it's kind of in his blood. And, and he wanted to make this for quite a while. It took ages for a studio to, to back him on it because they didn't think as a musical it was, it was going to work. But yeah, I, the, some of the criticism that's been put at it is that it doesn't really delve deep enough into the central issue of P.T. Barnum effectively you know, using the oddities of people as a way of, let's just say, no, hoodwinking the public, making money, making entertainment out of people who may have certain conditions. Now, the way in which that's portrayed in the film, it's a very positive thing. He's giving, you know, has a very, very positive message of inclusiveness, which I think is, an, you know, is a very, very important thing, especially for children to see. You know, you know, I think in reality, he was quite a shady character. He was a fake to a degree. And if you really delve into the history, apparently some of these characters that he used in his circus, I mean, one apparently was a slave and he was portrayed as a black slave. You know, this guy, P.T. Barnum, wasn't necessarily squeaky clean. And obviously what he was doing at the time was incredibly controversial. And that's, I suppose, you know, but it doesn't really delve into it as a central issue. Yeah, some people seem to have the critics, as it were, almost took issue with that. I'm thinking, well, it's not that kind of film. You're not going to... It's not supposed to be like a deep, complex film where you're going to explore that entire issue. You're instead painting it with a very light brush and doing it as a way of promoting inclusiveness. I also heard criticisms that it just, in general, it just looked fake, you know, that the singing didn't necessarily look like real as it coming out of there. It's done in this, yeah, it's done yeah, in some of it. But, but, yeah, but, but again, that's... <laughs> That doesn't matter. If you're making those criticisms, in all honesty, you're, not the, you're just not the audience. I think this is the, tr I don't know, for me personally, I always think you need to try and look at this from the audience's point of view that it's meant mm. for. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to find, of course, you're going to find fault in it. 
And for that reason, I just thought it was just a very, very pure, uplifting, entertaining film with a really, really good message. Like you say, when the characters first burst into song, I think it's the the younger versions of, of the two main leads. When they're on the beach, they start talking and then the kids start singing. You know, that, that moment in a musical is often quite crucial. It has to reel you in. It has to be convincing when suddenly the musical starts and someone goes from acting to singing. I thought that worked. But I say every single song was just an earworm, wasn't it, really? So, I mean, it, I think right from the word go, it had you from that point of view. It did often feel like it was a series of music videos or greatest hits stitched together. But I still felt there was a really good narrative there. Yes, as I say, it didn't delve too deep into any of the main narrative plots, as it were. But it, for me, for me, it just, just didn't need to. It's really just a story of someone who had a really firm belief in entertaining people and I suppose mixing that with his incredible hunger and desire for business and providing for his family that all felt out of kilter which again you know is a relatively common theme I thought the characters themselves were fantastic when, when you see some of these characters burst into song, it does have that impact. And I remember watching this with the kids and it was a bit like Frozen. It was the yeah. thing. I mean, literally yep. for about a year or more, the songs were on in the car. I mean, they still are from time to time. And yeah, it doesn't matter what you say about it. It's totally connected with that audience in the, in the same way that I think Frozen did. So yeah, as I say, when I watched it, I just thought, well, I was watching thinking, why, how can you... How can you not like this and not like what this film is trying to do at its heart? Hugh Jackman, fantastic. I love Michelle Williams and everything she does. And I loved her in this. Zac Efron, again, you know, obviously from a musical background with High School Musical. And he just looked right at home in the musical numbers. He was great in it. And that whole love story with the character played by Zendana was really nice. And again, it touched on that issue of race, but it didn't delve too deep into it. It made the message and and, uh, did it very well. And yeah, for me, it's not a film that I'm going to sit down and watch over and over again. But crikey, everybody knows this film for the impact it made in the same way everyone knows Frozen for the impact it made. But the impact it made is with the family audience or with the children's audience. So, yeah, I really liked it. And I really liked the cinematography. I, I, I liked the way the Zero, I think it's called a Z, I might have got this wrong, a Zerotrope or a Zelotrope, when he brings that spinning light back to the house and you get all the flickering lights in the in the sheets on the top. Yeah, I love that. That was yeah. my, probably one of my favourite scenes, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And again, yeah. there was a scene at the beginning with, with them, again, with them as a boy and a girl running into the house, uh-huh. and you get these kind of shadows playing against the chandeliers. You know, the way they played with that whole aesthetic of light worked really well. And it was very deliberate that although this film was about the circus... They deliberately put a modern soundtrack on it. The whole music was very modern. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I really, I really liked it. I don't really see how you can not like it. 
Mm. I mean, it's a very colourful film as well. I mean, it's not just about the singing. The choreography is amazing too with, the, with all those people that are in the circus act and it all just connects really well. And I really like, I, I do like Hugh Jackman and, and Michelle Williams. Both mostly had smile on their faces apart from obviously the sad scenes and when they're, they're not getting on and stuff like that. But they've, they seem to have a great rapport with the kids in their family as well. And it, it just... I really like the rooftop scene which you were talking about where Barnum has to tell his wife he no longer had a job but he still made sure that he didn't interfere with his family life. They still played with the kids and then they sang A Million Dreams and then the lighting just influenced, you know, that making that dream come true as well. And, and I love the imagination and the ideas sort of getting developed from that scene, really. You're right, Zac Efron has is, is, is been in High School Musical and, and Hugh Jackman, you mentioned a couple of them in Australia. He was, uh, he was in that film as well where it was musical. I don't think I've ever seen Michelle Williams. I don't think I've ever seen her sing. So I was really surprised. I was kind of wondering, is it her voice? Is she, is she really singing? Um, but no, she's got a good singing voice. And I mean, I, I grew up watching Dawson's Creek in, from 1998 to 2003. And I, I loved Pacey. He was great in that TV series. But she's gone on to do some great acting and probably is the star, right? You know, the shining star from that Dawson's Creek cast. She's done Brokeback Mountain, where she met Heath Ledger and married him. Shutter Island, My Week with Marilyn Monroe, Manchester by the Sea and Venom just to name a few she's done a heap of stuff since Dawson's Creek and this is a very different role but I've, I've spotted that she's also been filming Fosse and Verdon uh, with Sam Rockwell which is a TV motion picture and, and she plays a Broadway dancer so this film has led for her to do other things like singing and dancing in other you know she's proved herself that she can do that and Zandaya, she was she was good, and she was 21, I believe, when she was filming this The Greatest Showman, and she's gone on to do this latest Spider-Man films as well. So she's a lot, I think she's got a great career ahead of her, basically. I think it's just a lot of fun. It's colourful, and as I said, a real great family film. And you're right, I think if they touched on his extramarital affairs and also with the diversity piece, it wouldn't make it necessarily a family film. He may have gone on to have affairs, I, I don't know but it kind of hinted at that anyway but it didn't go into too much detail and I kind of like that you don't need to see that and my son actually told me I don't like this piece mummy and that it was the bit where he was going off with the opera singer so it's a it's, it's a good one for me what, what what would you rate it then Rob? I would give this eight out of ten for me mm. When it came out for the audience, I thought it was very, very, very good. But yeah, not the kind of thing that I'm personally hugely mad about, but because I appreciate how good it was for the audience, I'm going to give it an eight. I really enjoyed it. And as I said, I know most of the songs, pretty much all the songs. So I'm going to give it an eight and a half out of ten from me. Very good. Yeah, I quite enjoyed this week. And actually, on Butch Cassie on the Sundance Kid, we just touched on a couple of factoids. There is heaps in IMDb. You scroll, 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 scroll. But go and have a look. Really good facts that you have on uh, Butch Cassie on the Sundance Kid. Good stuff, right. Okay, so this week's film selections, it's me to give you the genre. It's my turn. The genre is animation. Animation. Um, I have eight. Number five. Oh, it's Toy Story. <laughs> oh, I mean, how about that? As if I even need to say Toy Story. 
but I will give the blurb in case you're on another planet when this came out. A cowboy <laughs> doll is profoundly threatened and jealous when a new spaceman figure supplants him as top toy in a boy's room. Yeah. Woody and Buzz Lightyear, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Another good uh, friendship there. Toy Story is showing on Disney Plus and you can rent or buy from most of the online channels, Amazon Prime, Rakuten TV, Sky Store, Apple TV, etc, etc. Cool. Give me a genre. I'm going for comedy. Comedy. I have got 21 comedies on the list. Number 11, please. Oh, you've only got to pick Anchorman. The Legend of Ron Burgundy. You've not seen that. Oh my God. I don't think I don't think I have. No. Yeah. So this is one of Will Ferrell's classics. He he co-wrote this. It's Will Ferrell, Christina Applegate, Steve Carell. But I mean, you've also got Paul Judd, Seth Rogen, Vince Vaughn's in it. All of that crew, basically. Brilliant. And so, yeah. I can't wait to know what you think of this then. Is it a boys film? That's what I want to know. Because some well, comedies with all these kind of characters in would potentially be a boys, a boys, boys film. Well, this will be an interesting point to talk about. I don't think it is, even though like the main gang are a bunch of guys and then you've got the main female woman who's a strong character everyone's trying to crack onto. I don't think, I wouldn't say, it's not like a gross out comedy, but it is definitely of that ilk. So I'll be looking forward <laughs> to, to, know, to know what you think of it. Yeah, uh, all good, all good. Oh, it's a quite a light-hearted week. Toy Story and Anchorman, I like that. Absolutely. And see if anybody can come up or get as close as they can in terms of degrees of separation for Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and The Greatest Showman. And, of course, now we've got these two as well. So Anchorman and Toy Story, which may be slightly easier. Cool, right. Well, yeah. time to open the windows again. Yeah, we can Ooh. breathe. <laughs> I have another glass of Coke <coughs> wine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, have you drunk all the white red wine in your in your beer glass? I've drunk all my Coke. Is it gone? You, mean. you know, I mean, listen, <laughs> hey, it's Friday. It's the end of the week. It was a Coke. And your popcorn. And your popcorn. I got a lot of use from the mute button today whilst I was chomping away in that popcorn. I have to say, anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, thanks very much, Rob. And we will see you next week, everyone. Cheers. Bye.